0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to the 99th episode of the Product-Led Podcast. I am Pierce Ramirez, your Community Manager and the current host. And today we have one of our esteemed community champions, Lauren Elia, to speak with us about seven strategies that people need to nail in order to make the transition from sales-led to product-led. How are you, Lauren?
1: Hi, everyone. I'm doing really well. Just getting the week started here
0: in Oh, California. that's nice. Oh, wait, it's still a Tuesday. Oh, wait, it's just a Monday where you are at, right?
1: No, it's Tuesday already, oh. but oh, okay. we, had, we had Monday off for MLK. So right, just true. getting the week started today.
0: Okay, that's great. So transitioning from sales led to product led, I'm sure this entails having to realign priorities for different teams and departments that you're working with. How do you influence them to think things uh, differently take, and take a more product-led approach?
1: Yeah, that's an excellent question. I mean, I think as with anything, when you want to influence people, there's two things that you kind of need to have be very aware of. The first one is you want to present facts and data. And then the other one is you want to be mindful of the people that you're working with. Mm-hmm. So I think the approach that I've taken that has worked for me is on the data side, always have a um, show up prepared to meetings with whatever learnings and findings you have and do a lot of experiments, right? It's better to. Try to position something as, hey, let's try this as an experiment Mm -hmm. rather than, hey, let's change our whole strategy and do this whole new thing that will completely disrupt the way you're doing things. It's easier to just kind of sell the idea of let's do this one experiment, let's do an A-B test and see how it works. Super important. I'll go deeper into it when we talk about experimentation, but to Mm -hmm. have it's set up in a way that you do have a test and a control group so that you can come back and you can present results and without people questioning your methodology. Yeah. But the, that is just one part of it. The mm-hmm. other part of it is people, right? And so I think here is where it's really important to make sure you're connecting with your teammates. Mm -hmm. Like really, truly, deeply connecting with them and understand what are their personal goals as well as organizational goals and how can PLG or you help them achieve that. And so having a clear understanding of that and making sure that other people understand that you are trying to help them and the organization Mm -hmm. achieve that goal will also be very helpful in leading this transition.
0: From the way I see it, it's like you have to break it to them softly if I may. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So why be product-led? Why do even start the transition in the first place?
1: Yeah. So I see that there's two trends happening right now in the world. The first Mm -hmm. one is people are becoming a lot more tech savvy. And that's everyone from your mom and pop store owner to big company users, whoever your target user is. And so with that, people are way more comfortable just playing around, tinkering with things, trying to figure out how or if things work for them. So they're just like naturally more inclined and more willing to mm-hmm. spend the time figuring things out for themselves. The second one is that the cost of acquisition has gone up over the years with social media getting more saturated, salaries going mm-hmm. up. And so what has happened is that the CAC-to-LTV ratio is going down and that makes companies less attractive. What the magic of product-led growth is, is that you can propel your company's growth without necessarily investing more in headcount and that reverses that trend of CAC-to-LTV going down and therefore it just makes your company more successful and more attractive to investors or to the market in general.
0: The main idea with uh, being product-led is that You're thinking of it down on the ground level or at the user level instead of just as a business. Okay, I get it. So I'm almost an absolute layman when it comes to business terms. And so there's an absolute treasure trove to learn about. Just to define some terms, what's the difference between product marketing versus product management?
1: Oh yeah, that's an excellent question. I get this question all the time. Mm
0: -hmm. Okay, so
1: I once heard this analogy that I think really made it click for me. Mm -hmm. And it's this, product management makes products and puts it on the shelf. And then product marketing takes it off the shelf, meaning we ensure that the demand is there for the product. So product puts product on the shelf, product marketing takes the product off the shelf by generating demand. And so to do that, we work with multiple functions in the organization, from market research to demand generation, content social, product, customer success, and sometimes, sometimes even sales. Mm-hmm. Because what we are trying to do is ensure that every single customer touch point helps user understand how the product uniquely serves their user
0: needs. I see. I see. Okay. So you're working with Honeybook. And so for HoneyBook, how was the transition? Did you have any strategies or a secret sauce, if you made to make it happen?
1: I mean, I don't think there's such a thing as a secret sauce. I can tell you what, you know, I think are seven strategies that help with that transition. For HoneyBook, the transition took about three years. As I Mm -hmm. mentioned earlier, it is very much a kind of like a slow process where you want to convince people slowly to make the change because, you know, organizational change takes time. But here are the seven things that I think can help with Mm -hmm. making this transition. The first one is understanding your user. And this is where product marketing is like really core to the transition to product led because it's basically you have to really, really understand. What are the needs of your user? What are the behaviors of the user? What do they do in your product? What are those first aha moments that lead to people being excited about your product and being wanting to continue to learn and use your product? And so a lot of that comes from a really deep user understanding. The second strategy is experimentation. And I touched on, upon this a little bit earlier. I think what's really fun about Mm -hmm. the world in which we live today is that there is so much data. And so what that means is that we are able to make data-driven decisions. And so the other thing that's really fun is that there isn't really a tried-and-true system or process that will work for all the products or, or any product what you can do is like learn from other products. What are they doing? But then you have to experiment with your own product and your own audience to see what works for for these audience.
0: That can be your own user research as well.
1: Exactly. That's your user research as well. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of like, I guess, taking user research one step forward, Mm -hmm. meaning that, okay, you learn something kind of through qualitative or quantitative research, but then you want to see if in in the real world, in reality, it actually like pans out the way you thought. Mm -hmm. And what's really fun is that sometimes it it doesn't. And sometimes you have this hypothesis that, you know, this should definitely work. And then it doesn't work. And you're like, oh, okay, great. (laughs) And so here is also where it's very important to have a company culture that Mm -hmm. allows for failures, that encourages even failures. (laughs) So at HoneyBook, what we have, something we call the Batter's Box, Mm -hmm. which is basically an analogy to baseball where I think the batting average, the average batting average is something like three out of 10 or something like that connecting the ball. But basically what we're trying to say here is that the more experiments you run, the more likely you are to hit goal. Mm -hmm. And so the idea here is to encourage people to run experiments, even if they don't pan out, as long as you learn from that experience. You share it with the rest of your team and you continue building upon previous experiments. Okay, third strategy is first user experience or onboarding. And this is tricky because, mm-hmm. and here's where I often hear people thinking or saying or asking questions around okay, how do I work, help my company transition from sales led to product led, given that onboarding to my product is difficult?
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: like every customer is unique and it requires a lot of handholding from our sales team to get them to succeed. And I think this is actually really challenging. And I think this is not unique to any kind of product, which makes me like laugh. So the customers at HoneyBook are all small businesses and each mm-hmm. small business thinks that their business is so unique that nothing, no like, you know, Mm-hmm. off-the-shelf solution will help for them, will we'll work for them.
0: Well, it's the, it's the only thing that they could see, so it's definitely understandable, but I definitely know where you're coming from because, okay, been there, done that, but let's customize it for you, okay? <laughs> Something like that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> exactly, That's that's very true too. So I think here the key is to find the five or so most common workflows Mm -hmm. or use cases and make sure you build onboarding flows that are customized to those five key use cases. You will still get some outliers and then you probably want to have still some people on customer success. They're available to help those outliers um, be successful with your product. But for the most part, you'll find like a few use cases are pretty common and then you just have to build that experience out. It's really hard to build that experience out. I'm not minimizing it, but, mm-hmm. but that's kind of the, the strategy. Fourth point is pricing and packaging. Pricing and packaging is really, I think, the most important piece of... I don't know if it's the most important piece, but it's really important mm-hmm. to product-led growth because when you have a salesperson to talk to your potential customer and the customer has a objection around pricing
0: mm-hmm.
1: they can work together right like the salesperson can negotiate with the user and they can kind of reach an agreement and mm-hmm. you can kind of adjust your pricing if your pricing strategy isn't quite perfect when you don't have a salesperson you lose that which means the product has to do all the negotiation for you. Mm -hmm. So what that means is that you have to do quantitative research to figure out your pricing and packaging. And I cannot stress out more the word quantitative here, like Mm -hmm. hire a good agency that specializes in pricing and packaging and make sure they do the study and make sure they nail your price points. Because otherwise, either you're leaving money on the table or you're losing users because they cannot tell you that
0: your pricing is off. Yeah, mm-hmm. makes sense.
1: And it's really interesting, like if I may tell you about a situation that we ran into at HoneyBook.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So we did this the study and the study came back with price points at $9.39 and $65 per month. Mm-hmm. And then last year with COVID, you know, we were trying to help our users be successful or at least like the small business owners to be able to sustain their businesses through COVID. And so we actually lowered our price to $1 a month in order to make our products as accessible as possible. And of course, our demand skyrocketed, right? We like Mm -hmm. forexed our user base, but this was not sustainable for us as a business. And so we eventually thought, hey, we need to increase prices again. And so we came up, we actually came up with packages. And so we, we kept our $39 price point package. And then we came up with a second package at $9, which is what our research had shown that the price price point should be. And what is really interesting is that we found that we didn't lose any demand when we increased from $1 to $9. Because basically people are still willing to pay $9 for the product. They're still seeing that amount of value and it's still at a price point where people are not having to make this like huge cost-benefit analysis yeah so that's really interesting because that came out of that quantitative study which means that if we had just gone with our gut feeling we would probably have had it at one dollar or five dollars when we could actually charge nine
0: that example is perfect that really drove home the point yeah i totally get it why you should you like bring the value down just to drive a demand when you could still have the same demand and still increase your revenue so In order to do that, you have to do the research for it or at least get an agency that really knows what they're doing to do the quantitative research, right?
1: Yeah, exactly. Okay. Cool. Fifth point is acquisition channels. Mm -hmm. So here I think is like where, again, your acquisition channels become important. We have performance or paid marketing, referral, like a very strong referral program, organic traffic, and then kind of like a product virality feature, mm-hmm. I guess, instead of a product. And that kind of helps us acquire users. I think what's really important here is that product education has to start at the very top of the funnel. So this is where it becomes really important for product marketing to work with all of the other Channel partners to make sure that the messaging and the value props are clear and that education builds upon itself as the user goes through their life cycle with their buyer journey. Sixth point is product mm-hmm. education, kind of like going back to that or expanding on that fifth point. And I think product education is an all hands on deck kind of initiative for PLG organizations. So you cannot really just say, okay, growth is going to lead product education or you know, CSMs are going to do product education or the mm-hmm. product is responsible for education. It doesn't work like that. It's not enough. Like every single function in the company needs to be thinking about product education. And so what we did is basically we organized ourselves around that and made sure that when we're building product, we're embedding education into those features. We have things like templates that are in a way, product education as well, tutorials, courses, but then also there's in-product, email, webinars, workshops. There's a lot of education that is very much self-serve. Yeah. That is key to the success of a POG strategy. And what is very important is that it is self-serve because you, again, don't want to have to increase your headcount so that you can deliver one-on-one education. You want to make sure that your education is one-to-many. And so that's where you want to leverage as many channels as you possibly can to deliver that product education.
0: Be efficient. Yeah. And the last point.
1: And the last point would be feedback loop. And here is where you want to make sure that as you know, product marketing or any other function is working on collecting that feedback from every single customer touch point that includes, you know, chats with support, interaction with ads, social media, feedback, any feedback that you're getting from uh, social media, product usage, all that, Mm -hmm. and that all of that gets summarized and then shared back to the product so the product can get better and improve. And again, this is key to PLG, right? Because it's product-led growth and if the Mm -hmm. product doesn't match the needs of the user then you won't have that growth part of PLG and so for the product to meet the needs of the user you want to make sure you're collecting that feedback and sharing it to with the product managers so that they can change and put that feedback in the roadmap.
0: After collecting my thoughts if you had like a TLDR too long did not read for too long did not listen in our case, what would it be? I mean, yeah, the seven is already like very important points. Uh, User onboarding, user research. I missed the names of the others, but I do remember how they work. So if you could summarize that, already summarize seven, how would you do that?
1: I would say, okay, like the quick kind of summary of the seven points is focus Mm -hmm. on understanding your users and ensuring they have a great user experience. Spend mm-hmm. a lot of time experimenting, have strong pricing and packaging, work with your acquisition channels to ensure messaging and value props are consistent across every channel, and focus really strongly on product education. That would be my summary of the roadmap and how you get there.
0: Because with product education, that's like how you would set expectations for users, correct?
1: Exactly. So if you think about it on a sales-led organization, Mm -hmm. you basically rely on the salesperson to provide that education. So through different calls, one-on-one calls, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: the salesperson is helping the user understand how to use a product, what the value is, what benefits are, and kind of holding their hands. When you're doing PLG, you have less of that, which means that you want to make sure that that information is easily or readily available for your user to consume. Because otherwise, if it's not readily available, they will just kind of be like, oh my God, this product doesn't work for me. Yeah. And just bounce where like it might have worked for them. They just didn't know how to get there.
0: Yeah. So it's important to educate them and make sure that the information to educate them, or the channels to educate them on is accessible. and it's I'd say I think the proper term would be intuitive mm-hmm. because anybody could be like easily bogged by too much information. For example, you're doing a tutorial on I don't know, three d rendering. I don't even know how to use the software for that. Just know that there are like a lot of levers and buttons that you could press. so, I'd automatically think that it's not for me. But if there's like a step one, this is how you start. Okay, click here, blah, blah, blah. Okay, now that makes the transition definitely easier and puts uh, the user experience on the forefront. But in order to uh, do that, you'll really need to do your root user research first. Correct?
1: And I think you touched on another very important point, which is you don't want to make all the information available always to all your users. You want to make sure you understand their journey. And so going back to that user research piece that you mentioned is like, you really want to understand what information they need at that time. And so I'll give you an example, right? In an ad, you, for our product, right? Our product is a CRM and invoicing um, tool for small business owners. So in an ad, you want to put, you know, HoneyBook has invoices. That's it, right? Then, when they start their trial with HoneyBook, you want to make sure that they understand that what are the you know core capabilities of an invoice that you can modify the date, that you can attach a like a credit card payment request to it,
0: mm-hmm. that you
1: can send it on an email, and things like that. I see, and that's all the person needs to know. Once they become a an active member, then you want them to be able to understand that they can have recurring invoices, that they can have request a deposit that they can, you know, they have chargeback support, things like that. And when they are, have been with HoneyBook for a year, then you wanted them to know that they can attach a scheduling to their invoice and things like that. So like, instead of having, you know, this is everything you can do with your invoice. And then the the user is like, I can't handle this. Mm -hmm. Be like, okay, here's what you need to know right now in order to move to the next step. And then in order to know that
0: you have to do the research. Guided education. Okay,
1: exactly.
0: all right. So I'm sure our listeners will probably have further questions for you. What would be the best method to reach you? And would it be email, LinkedIn, stuff like that?
1: Yeah. So either LinkedIn or Twitter at Lorenelia.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: That's L-O-R-E-N-E-L-I-A. Or join the POG community on Slack <laughs> and very active there. You can ping me there.
0: <laughs> all right. So, it's been a pleasure speaking with you, Lauren. Thank you very much, everyone. Don't forget to participate in the State of Product Led Growth Survey. And we have something special in store for episode 100 of the Product Led Podcast. So, stay tuned and wait for it. Take care.